Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to The Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your host, Connor Halley. Hello, Oilers fans. Thank you again for tuning in to the other Connor podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Connor Halley. Before we get to today's show, we got to thank our sponsor, DraftKings, and football is right around the corner. Get in on all of the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. And with the NFL returning, DraftKings is giving new customers $200 in free bets instantly when you bet $1 or more on any football game. Listen up because you don't want to miss this. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 or more on any Week 1 game to receive $200 in free bets instantly. If Sportsbook is not yet available in your state, DraftKings has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. And for Week 1, DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at a $1 million top prize. Nothing adds to the excitement of watching a game quite like having a free shot at a $1 million top prize. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a bet of $1 or more on any football game and a free shot at a $1 million top prize with your first deposit. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NFL must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Once again, thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Connor Halley. Make sure you give me a follow on Twitter at Connor Halley. And, you know, the slow part of the offseason kind of continuing on for the Edmonton Oilers. I wish I had some good news to report, but unfortunately we're still sitting back here waiting for Kyler Yamamoto to sign with the organization. He is an RFA so he's not going anywhere. You don't have to worry about that but still no news to report. There's been no PTO so we're just going to go status quo here on the show today and we'll talk about the Edmonton Oilers with Tyler Uremchuk. He of course with TSN 1260 and Oilers Nation and we're going to start to preview the Pacific Division. Of course that means we are getting closer to the start of hockey season. The Edmonton Oilers will kick off their preseason against the Calgary Flames. Sunday, September 26th, down in Calgary. With that, we're going to talk to Ryan Pike. He, of course, covers the Calgary Flames for Flames Nation, but that's something we're going to do for the next couple weeks here on this show. We'll discuss, of course, the Canucks, the Kraken, the Southern California teams, the Vegas Golden Knights, San Jose, who's more Central California. We'll get previews of all those teams as we continue this offseason here on the Other Connor Podcast. But let's kick it off with Tyler Uremchuk of TSN 1260 and Oilers Nation. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Tyler Uremchuk. Tyler, thanks a lot for doing this today. How are you doing? 
I'm great. Always love talking hockey with you. Well, I'm glad you could uh, spare some time to do so today. And, of course, uh, for the Edmonton Oilers, not a whole lot going on. Kind of that slow off season. And uh, as we have on the, the last few episodes, we kind of thought, you know, maybe this will be the day or the week that Kyler Yamamoto signs with the Edmonton Oilers. Of course, being an RFA, is not going to go anywhere. Uh, what's your thoughts on uh, the, the little bit of a holdup here between the two sides on the negotiation? And, and when do you think this does eventually end up happening? I, I got a funny feeling that the player wouldn't want to let this bleed out into the season. I mean, he's not too far away from being arbitration eligible, which would be, for him, really the first time where he'd have some leverage in a negotiation. So if I'm Yamamoto, I'm taking a short-term deal. I'm not going to you know, get too upset about maybe losing out on a couple hundred thousand right now because the priority for him needs to be getting into training camp, having a really, really good season, and then being able to force his hand once he has more rights in the negotiation and maybe cash in on a deal like Joel Farabee cashed in on with the Flyers. And I know even at this point in their career, their numbers are similar. Um, the Oilers don't have the money to go long-term with the Yamamoto either. So just all signs point to this being a short-term deal that gets done right before camp starts. And you mentioned it. He's an RFA. He's, he's likely not going anywhere. He's not really an offer sheet candidate. So I, I think this gets done in sort of the week leading up to training camp. Now, I mean, you said obviously can't be long-term, can't be too much money. Do you have a a contract in mind where, uh, you know, one or two years uh, with a dollar amount that you think would make sense for both sides? So I had heard some rumblings that maybe he might just take the qualifying offer to get the one year done. I don't think that's going to happen. I think even on a one-year deal, he's worth more than his qualifying offer. Um, but again, he doesn't have really much negotiating power unless he wants to sign an offer sheet somewhere. So I got a funny feeling it'll be a two-year deal worth just under $2 million per season, 1.8, 1.9, somewhere in that range. And again, Yamamoto just needs to focus on scoring a ton of goals on Leon Dreisaitl or Connor McDavid's line, and he'll be a 4 $5 million player in a few seasons. Now, let's talk about some of the additions that Ken Holland brought in this offseason. Obviously, the one that was longly reported and, and highly anticipated, Zach Hyman coming over from the Toronto Maple Leafs. He showed there that you know he could play with high-level talent like Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner. Seems like an obvious fit for the top six, playing with either Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl. Where do you slot Zach Hyman in, and, and why do you think he can make star players even better? I mean, everything the Oilers are asking Zach Hyman to do, he's done before. He was in Toronto, you mentioned it, playing with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. He knows how to play with high-skill guys, and not just play, he knows how to produce and thrive in those roles, and he can kill penalties. He can be a net front presence on the power play. Like, everything the Oilers need from him, he's proven he can do at a high level already, and that's what makes me so excited about this fit. He skates hard, he goes to the nasty areas of the ice, he knows how to how to sort of, you know, get his stick on the puck and score goals when guys like Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are setting him up. So I think he's just an absolutely perfect fit, whether it's with McDavid, whether it's with Dreisaitl, whoever. I think this guy is just, to use the cliche, he's going to fit like a glove. And the contract was good. It was just a home run move, in my opinion, for Ken Holland. And I'm incredibly confident that it's going to work out very, very well in this first season. I want to ask you about Jesse Pugliarvi. Obviously, I mean, the growth he took last year was huge, and, and, you know, even just going back a calendar year and a half or so, he didn't know what the future was going to be for JP. He comes back to the team, changes the number, works his way up, gets to that top line where he's playing with Connor McDavid, and at times showed glimpses of a guy who looked like he could pull down that spot. Uh, what kind of steps do you think he can take going forward this year? Well, he's 
stunned me by going from an afterthought and a castaway to a player who's all of a sudden become an integral part of this team's core up front. Like, he's a legit top six winger, and he showed that last season. Um, I didn't see that coming. I certainly didn't think it would be with the Oilers, but now I can't really imagine what this forward group would look like without Yesa Pugliarvi in it. And like you said, he took that big leap forward, and the line I love to use when I talk with Low Tide, and he's the one who said it first, was, Players don't always develop in a straight line, and that's certainly true for Pugliarvi up to this point. And I don't necessarily think it's a lock that he takes another big step forward and is a 30-goal guy this season or is a 35-goal guy with McDavid, but I actually think that could be in the cards. Like, I'm, I'm not going to doubt Pugliarvi anymore. I think this is a guy who showed that he's really matured both on the ice and in terms of his maturity off the ice as well. Like, he showed that he was willing to come here and put the pass behind him. And I think that was like a really, really big and positive step. And now, I mean, he's doing training with boxers and he's committed to getting tougher. And I think this is a guy who's going to be hard to push around. And if he gets bigger and meaner and he ties that into the fact that he clearly has a natural goal-scoring ability, that that's problems for the opposition. And it's going to make him a probably pretty rich man if he has all those traits executes them to his fullest ability and is playing on the line with Connor freaking McDavid. <laughs> what what do you think of uh, Warren Fogle? Obviously the team sent Ethan Bear to the Carolina Hurricanes to bring him in. Uh, a lot of people talked about trying to improve that bottom six, especially after that series against the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, if you have him out there with Josh Archibald and I guess Ryan McLeod or Derek Ryan, whoever you want to slot in as that third line center, how do you think that group can hold up? I heard one person describe Warren Fogle to me. We were talking about the Oilers offseason, and they were a Toronto-based reporter. They said, the Oilers got Zach Hyman, and they also got the next Zach Hyman. That's how high they were on Warren Fogle, a 25-year-old who, whenever he would get opportunity in Carolina, he would make the most out of it. And now he's coming to a spot where there might be opportunity for him to play with McDavid or Dreisaitl. And I had a really interesting debate with Low Tide today about the idea of the Oilers running three centermen next year and putting Nuge on his own line. And I think Fogel is a guy who, like Hyman, skates fast and knows how to get to the dirty areas and has, and has good hands as well. If you go back and kind of watch his highlights from Carolina. So I look at that and I go, you know, if Fogel comes in and takes a step forward and ends up playing with Connor McDavid, who he's tight with off the ice, Maybe Zach Hyman sits with Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and that's a line that can even drive offense. And then if you have, you know, whoever, Dylan Holloway, maybe playing with Dreisaitl or something like that, maybe you can build three scoring lines. So the thing I love about this forward group is that they're so versatile. There's so many different ways they can kind of go in terms of uh, – in terms of players who can play left wing and right wing or center and right wing or center and left wing, they can build this thing hundreds of different ways, and they're going to be so dynamic. Even if it's Fogel, McLeod, and Archibald, that's a damn good third line who's going to be really, really tough on the opposition. So I, I really like the addition of Fogel. Again, I don't love the price they had to pay for him, but he's here now, and I'm expecting him to really do some damage, whether it's in the bottom six or in sort of a complementary role next to McDavid. That's a, that's a really good line, too. You have Zach Hyman, and you have the next Zach Hyman. So for Fogel, like the blueprint is there right out in front of him. <laughs> this is what I have yeah. to do. I do this. I'll have success. And like you said about EJP, uh, maybe that payday could be coming for Warren Fogel. Yeah. Uh, you also talked about just the versatility in this forward group. And one guy who, uh, you know, some people love him, some people hate him. Not too many people indifferent about him, but Zach Cassian. Uh, right now, I think might be penciled in on the fourth line, but we've seen in the past in a pinch he can move up. Where are your expectations for old number 44 this year? 
I, I, I don't have huge expectations for him. I think he'll just be a bottom six guy who, you know, hopefully he finds a way to chip in 9 to 11, 9 to 12 goals, somewhere in that range is, is kind of what I'm hoping for. But Dave Tippett loves his veterans, and Kyler Yamamoto struggled to produce at points last season, and that wasn't through a lack of effort. That was through Yamamoto just kind of being snake bitten. So I think Cassian at some point will get a look in the top six. It'll come. And when he gets it, he better do everything in his power to keep it because he might be running out of chances here in Edmonton, especially when you consider the contract he has and sort of the young pieces that are still coming up in this organization. So there's pressure on Zach Cassian this year. And, I mean, in the past, he's always been great in contract years for the Oilers. And then as soon as that pressure is kind of off, he fades away. And I'm hoping Zach Cassian finds that contract year kind of spark that he's had in the past and finds a way to work himself into the top six because, again, if Cassian can be a 17-23 to 23 goal guy instead of an 8-12 to 12 goal guy, that's huge for this team and only makes their depth up front stronger and makes them scarier. Tyler, looking at the back end here, uh, Darnell Nurse, Tyson Berry, I think we know what we're going to get from that pairing. We saw it all of last season. Uh, the one that I want to ask you about, though, Duncan Keith and Cody Cece uh, might be asked to take on some of the more defensive roles there. What do you think of that pairing, and, and do you think that they stay together for the full 82-game season if, if that's being played? Well, if they're healthy, I think they will. I think that could be a pairing that Dave Tippett sort of really, really leans on in the tough moments of the game. you got a good puck mover who's still veteran and knows how to play his spots in the defensive zone and keep, and someone in CeCe who has actually been pretty good defensively when used in the right situations the past few years. Um, I think they're a pairing that might be prone to some ugly mistakes at points, and that could lead to some Oilers fans souring on the duo quickly, but I think it'll be two players that Dave Tippett will really trust. I mean, I look back to the last couple of years where, you know, even if Larson and Russell didn't start the game on the same pairing, in the third period, if they were up by a goal, Larson and Russell played together. And I think it could be the same thing. Like, Keith, there might be games where Keith starts with Bouchard, but when there's six minutes to go and they're protecting a one- or two-goal lead, Keith will find his way back with CeCe. And that's how I at least expect Dave Tippett to utilize those two defensemen because, you know, Nurse is going to be out there with the big guns with McDavid and Dreisaitl, and Tippett will need a duo that he can just, you know, uh, get him out of trouble kind of pairing or bend, not break kind of situations. I think that's where he'll use those two. Now, uh, just one more question about the blue line there. Evan Bouchard, obviously a guy that we think will factor into the lineup a lot more on that third pairing. Uh, on the right side, on the left side, could be Chris Russell, could be Legison, could be Cuckoo. Uh, who knows, maybe it could be somebody else. Is there someone that you like in that spot to play with Evan Bouchard? I think it's Slater Cuckoo, actually. I think he's a bigger body. He skates okay. He moves the puck okay. Like, he doesn't do anything exceptionally well, but he does a bunch of stuff good and I think that's what you want with a rookie defenseman like Bouchard like just get someone who can understand what Evan needs to do to sort of be at his best and then just be out there and survive and don't make mistakes and when Cuckoo's on the ice I never got the sense that he ever panicked and made a ton of mistakes and Bouchard's a guy who's you know he's laid back he doesn't play overly urgent and I think putting him with a guy who doesn't make mistakes is a really good complimentary piece and I worry if it's Russell on that third pairing with uh with Evan Bouchard that, you know, if a puck gets turned over and they're stuck in their zone, that might be a not great situation to have a rookie defenseman on the ice for. 
So I'd, I'd say Cuckoo's actually the best fit for Russell there, or for Bouchard there. Now, is there anyone that played with the Condors last season that you think could make the jump up this year and take on a role with this Oilers team? Well, it's probably Benson. He's the easy choice. He's scored well at the American League level for two seasons now. And when you look at their forward group up front, like the right side looks pretty set. Pugliarvi, Yamamoto, Archibald, Cassian. The left side, you have Fogel, likely Nugent Hopkins, and Hyman. And then that fourth line spot, it's like, you know, is it going to be Devin Shore? Is it going to be Brendan Lamborghini Perlini? <laughs> that one, that spot's up in the air, and Benson's a left winger who's been in the organization for a while, and that might be a spot that's kind of open for him. So I think Benson's the obvious choice, barring any injuries, because, I mean, if a left shot guy goes down, there's a path for maybe like a Nima Linen or whoever from the American League to come up. If a centerman goes down, maybe Cooper Marodi gets a longer look. But naturally, out of camp, everyone healthy. I think Benson's the, the obvious target to keep an eye on. And Tyler, just final question for you. got to ask you uh, at least one question about the goaltending situation. And, uh, I mean, you've got a pretty good pulse of the fan base here and, and understanding of what their opinion is on the Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen duo going from last year to this year with no changes. Uh, I guess just your thoughts on that pairing between the pipes and, and any surprise that Ken Holland didn't go out there and bring someone else in. Yeah, I'm really surprised. Like, I, I, I'm nervous about this duo going into this year. Like, I know they've gotten the job done in back-to-back seasons for them, and uh, or at least in the regular season. But again, I mean, Mike Smith's now 39. At some point, he'll have a bad season. He won't just be a 925 goaltender till the end of time. And Miko Koskinen is inconsistent as well. So I just kind of look at this, and I'm like, man. We know that below-average goaltending can sink you in a hurry. So I look at this, and I'm like, two goalies with question marks. That's That leaves me feeling a little bit uneasy, but there's the other part of me that goes, you know, they've gotten the job done in back-to-back years, so maybe they can run it back one more time, and the Oilers can get to the deadline and maybe go acquire like a Marc-Andre Fleury if Chicago's out of the race and, and find a way, way to make a move like that kind of work. Um but it makes me nervous. I think most fans are nervous about it, even if you are the most optimistic of, of Oilers fans. Like, that duo, that doesn't leave you feeling, like, 100% confident. <laughs> oh, I'm with you 100% on that one. Tyler, thanks a lot for doing this today. Really appreciate it. Beauty, thanks for having me, man. Great stuff from Tyler Uremchuk of TSN 1260 and Oilers Nation. As I said before, give him a follow on Twitter, at Tyler Uremchuk. Really appreciate him hopping on the podcast today, talking all things Edmonton Oilers. And as I talked about earlier on in this show, we're going to keep it going here with another interview I had as we start our preview of the Pacific Division. Ryan Pike covers the team for Flames Nation. You can give him a follow on Twitter, at Ryan and Pike. Ryan, thanks a lot for doing this today. How you doing? Doing well yourself? You know, I'm doing good. Uh, we started our divisional preview here, the Pacific Division on the Other Connor podcast. So that means hockey season must be getting closer. And it was definitely an interesting season and off season for the Calgary Flames. Now, I just want to go back to, to the, the point of the season last year when it kind of looked like the Flames season, uh, wasn't going the way planned, uh, weren't going to make the playoffs. If you had to go back and think then, what went wrong with this team for the 2021 shortened season? Is there anything you could put your finger on being the uh, main reason it all kind of went up in smoke? Well, uh, the the short reason is consistency. Uh, they, they were a team that routinely you know, played their first periods like they weren't sure what time the game started. <laughs> and 
and as a result, they ended up, you know, getting behind quite a bit and chasing in games. And, you know, the, the Flames are a veteran team usually, and when, they, when they're able to, to dictate the pace and sort of, indi- you know, uh, impose a game plan, they're pretty good. But when they get down early and they're chasing, uh, the, the team seems to fall apart and seems to, you know, dig themselves in an even bigger hole. So if I had to point to one specific thing, it would be just inconsistent starts and bad starts in general. So going back to, you know, by the time the season wrapped up and obviously the Flames fans looking for something, was there anywhere specifically where team or the fan base, the writers, maybe even the team thought this is an area specifically where we need to improve on this offseason? I would say probably team speed and team depth. I mean, I think the, the big challenge for the Flames was they had enough guys who were performing reasonably well that they could roll, you know, a couple defensive pairings and two or three good forward lines. So I think the challenge is, you know, in the modern NHL, you got to be able to play with a consistent pace and a consistent style consistently. And, you know, you can't afford to give the other team, you know, that, that shift off when the fourth line or the third pairing comes on. And far too often the Flames were in a situation where that third line, third pairing or fourth line would be exposed and then they'd, you know, basically lose all momentum. So one of the things I think the Flames were hoping to do this summer was sort of just address some of the stylistic challenges they had and, you know, for lack of a better term, sort of bring in some more Daryl Sutter-style players who can play sort of a, a, a t- up-tempo game but a, a more structured game than the guys they had last year. Now, Sutter, like you said, he'll be going into his first full season as the head coach of the team. Throughout the year, did you, did you see kind of his, his fingerprints on this team? And, and like you said, you added players to play his style of system. What did you make of the team's offseason additions? For, for what they needed to do, I think they did a pretty good job. Uh, just looking at the guys they brought in, I mean, Tyler Pitlick is uh, very much a, a Sutter-style player. He's There's not a lot to his game offensively, but he's a, a really good 200-foot player. He's not going to move the needle offensively a lot, but if you're looking for someone to play in your bottom six and play a structured game and sort of help out in the penalty kill, he's he's a good bet. Uh, Nikita Zadarov is very much in that range, too. He's you know he, There's not much offensively to him, uh, and I believe, uh, you know, folks at the Athletic have sort of uh, characterized him as sort of an adventure in a bad way with the puck uh, in, in the, uh, the the neutral and offensive zones. But, you know, if you stick him on his own end and just ask him, you know, glassing out and lean on guys, he's really good at that. Uh, Trevor Lewis is another guy who will give them a bit of uh, a bit of depth. You know, he's, you know, we know exactly who Trevor Lewis is. He's, you know, well regarded from his time with the Kings. He's well regarded from his uh, stint with the Winnipeg Jets last year. He's another one of those guys sort of of the Pitlick, you know, mold that he's not super offensive, but he, he can bring some grit and some, and some uh, defensive prowess. And, you know, the, the big acquisition they brought in was uh, Blake Coleman, and Blake Coleman will be a guy who can provide the Flames with a bit of uh, a bit of speed and a bit of offense up front, but he's also one of those guys who's, you know, he plays a really smart two-way game, and if you look at the, the guys the Flames have in their top six, I mean, you know, Sean Monaghan is really good offensively, but, you know, he, I think the, the, the his playing style is sort of, you know, worn on him physically, and, you know, he's had a few surgeries. So having somebody like uh, like Blake Coleman, who's not afraid to go into the corners and do puck retrieval and sort of muck it around a bit, I think taking the physical emphasis a bit off guys like Monaghan will do a lot to sort of help Monaghan have a bounce-back season. Now, guys who left the organization, obviously not too many huge names, maybe, oh, well, I shouldn't say that. Let's be real. Mark Giordano is a big loss for this team, and, and maybe not as much on the ice as he used to be, but for that Calgary community, the organization, the guy who was the captain for, what, eight seasons, uh, what's it going to be like for this team without Mark Giordano there? 
it's going to be weird. I mean, you know, Giordano was signed by the Flames as a depth guy in the summer of 2004 as a minor league player and ended up be, probably, you know, if you, if you want to put together a Mount Rushmore of Flames players in terms of impact on the community and impact on the team, he's probably top three or four. I mean, it's like Lanny McDonald, Jerome McGinley, and, you know, Mika Kiprasov, and then, you know, uh, you know, Mark Giordano's right there. And, you know, I think it's going to be interesting because, you know, we were, we were hearing a lot about from the team about, you know, would there be a need for a change of culture, for a change in the core? Well, the change is sort of imposed on them, and now it's sort of a question of, you know, you take someone like Giordano out of the locker room, and, you know, he, he's a very impactful presence. He's got a Norris trophy. You know, when he speaks, guys listen. So that this going to leave kind of a, a leadership gulf, and it's going to be really interesting to see which players from the Flames locker room step in because, you know, if you look around, you know, the, the organization, even the longer-term Flames, like like Michael Backlund, Michael Backlund's never been on a Calvary Flames team that didn't have Mark Giordano or Jerome McGinley on it. So, you know, could, you know, could Backlund step up into that role as the most senior guy on the team? Uh, you know, if you look at even some of the guys who've been with the team more recently, none of these guys have been on a team that didn't have Mark Giordano on it. So what, how will they respond to not having him to lean on? I think, I think it's going to be fascinating because, you know, the, the Flames were a team that at times sort of crumbled under pressure the last year or two. So if you take out one of their big-name players and one of the guys they can really lean on, do other guys step up? Now, I know last year, Backlund, uh, Monaghan, and Kachuk all were the A's. Are the, the, or is the organization in a rush to give somebody the C, or do you think they might roll with the three assistants, maybe bump someone else up there? What do you think happens with the, with the big C? I, I imagine they probably leave it vacant for a while. I mean, you know, I think we'll probably get an indication pretty quickly in, in training camp what direction they want to go. But, you know, unless there's, you know, when, when Giordano became captain at the beginning of the 2013 season, you know, after, uh, after uh, Jerome McGinley left, it was pretty obvious that he was going to be able to do it. You know, he was the most senior player. He had worn a letter for a long time, and, you know, it, it seemed to make sense. Right now, it's sort of a question of, like, do you do you go for Matthew Kachuk with one year left in his current deal and, you know, questions about will he be a flame long-term? Do you do Monaghan, where Monaghan sort of uh, in the trade discussions every, every offseason? Do you go sort of a bit out of left field and go Milan Lucic? Do you go Backlund? I mean, they have a lot of questions for that. So I think I think they'll probably go sort of, uh, you know, accrue all the alternate captains and sort of do it by committee. But it'll be interesting to see if somebody really takes charge and grabs hold of that. Couple, a couple of things you dropped right there. I mean, I got to ask Matthew Kachuk, are you expecting him to sign a, a long-term deal with the Flames and stay in Calgary, or do you think he might, you know, try to look elsewhere? He's saying all the right things, uh, but I think it's a question of can you, can you succeed long-term with them? Because if you look at the way the cap is going, I mean, the Flames might have to choose between Johnny Goodrow and Matthew Kachuk in terms of building around long-term just because of the, the monetary reasons. And so I think this season, you know, we're going to find out if they if they really want to hitch their wagon to one or the other. And, you know, I, I think, you know, both guys are still young enough that if you want to trade them, you can get some decent pieces for them. But, you know, I, I think philosophically, you know, the Flames would probably love to keep everybody and try to build something special. You know, they only have a few seasons left in the saddle home. I'm sure they'd love to, to put up another Stanley Cup banner before they close the doors. But, you know, the clock is ticking, and I, I think 
finding the right mix of guys and finding the right mix of, uh, of cap hits is going to be very difficult for them. So I think we'll probably, I think we might get an indication by midseason what direction they're leaning because, you know, if, if Gianni Gaudreau signs a long-term extension with a significant raise over his current uh, cap hit, uh, I don't know how they can fit Kachuk in long-term, in which case maybe he's on, on the trade market. Do you have an inkling into which way they might want to go with Matthew Kachuk or Johnny Goudreau? Like, as an Oilers fan, keep Matthew Kachuk because I love these Battle of Albertas. But do you have uh, any any thoughts to where which direction the organization would go? Oh, goodness. I wish I did. Uh I've heard, you know, there, there's been, you know, long, long standing rumors of maybe, you know, they have been in discussions with uh, Johnny Gaudreau when the, the offseason began and, and at the, and the, the last day of, uh, of media availabilities. You know, Gaudreau flat out said that he, you know, he would like to be with the team long term. He'd be interested in, in negotiating a deal. And my understanding is they have been talking. Uh, I don't know how close they are, uh, but. I think that, you know, when you have a guy like Johnny Gaudreau, like flat out, you know, in Flames history, there's maybe a handful of players who can move the needle offensively the way Johnny Gaudreau can. And, you know, with how difficult it is to score goals in this league, maybe the Flames, you know, emphasize that over anything else. So, uh, you know, with uh, with Kachuk, I mean, when he's on his game, he can be one of the most, you know, game-breaking, agitating players. You know, we've seen it from however many Flames-Oilers games the last three or four seasons. But, you know, I think the challenge is, I think Gaudreau is Gaudreau more often than Kachuk is Kachuk, at least more consistently. You know, the the variation in terms of, you know, how they play their game with Gaudreau. Gaudreau is pretty consistent. Kachuk, he can either be amazing or sometimes kind of ordinary. And I think those are the kind of X factors that I think they have to weigh to figure out which guy they want to keep. Do you think uh, general manager Brad Treliving is on the hot seat at all, being with the organization since 2014, uh, maybe the lack of the playoff success and what they've done lately? Is there any potential that he could be on his way out? That's a good question. Um, you know, all... all We've been, all the reports are that uh, both uh, you know Daryl Sutter and Bradford Living have contracts with two years left on them. Uh, they'd be expiring after the 22-23 season, and at which case, you know, I don't know. I think I think the problem is you know the Flames are a good enough team to make the playoffs, but they haven't really shown consistently they can be a good enough team to really you know make a push. And I mean, you know, I, I don't think. I don't think we can, you know, discount that, you know, since Living arrived, the Flames went from sort of being a, uh, you know, a team consistently on the outside of the playoff puzzle uh, to being a team consistently in the mix and usually in the playoffs. So the, the organization is definitely taking that step forward. But I think, you know, internally they had to figure out, you know, with, you know, Trey Living's game plan and with the way he's executing it, can they really take that next step with him or do they need to get somebody else in with a different mindset to uh, to put the pieces together in the right way? But, you know, both of them, like I said, Trilliving has two years left. And, you know, I can I think barring another you know year outside of the playoffs, I think he's probably going to work out his contract. But it's going to be really interesting to see how he executes his plan in the next few months. Now, after a few years in Calgary, Derek Ryan heading uh, north on the highway, coming up to Edmonton. Uh, can you give a little scouting report for what Oilers fans can expect from the Veteran Center? I, I'm a big, big uh, Derek Ryan guy. He, you know, when he was at the Flames, I think he, you know, for a fourth line center, his I think his cap hit here was about three point one two five million. A little bit hefty for a fourth line center, but you know, he is the kind of player, right shot center, plays a really structured game. You know, always in the right position. You know, he's small, but he doesn't play small. He, he's got some physicality to him, but he, you know, he's he's not afraid to engage. But he's not going to bowl guys over. But you know, because he's not terribly, terribly large, and 
all due respect to him, I think he'd be the first guy to say that he's not, you know, he doesn't have high, high end talent, but he's just very aware of what's going on on the ice. He's never had a position and he consistently makes smart, savvy plays with the puck, even without the puck. So, he, you know, will, will he be scoring like 30 goals and 60 points in the season? Well, no, but he's the type of guy that, you know, the, the little things he does throughout games with and without the puck will probably result in one or two goals not going in for the Oilers every couple of games. And that could make a big difference in what's you know, potentially going to be a very, very tightly packed Pacific division. Yeah, yeah, that would be a, be a huge thing for the Oilers, something they've sorely missed over the last few years. So you mentioned the division. Uh, how do you think it shapes up? Obviously, going back to the Pacific, uh, luckily for us, we're going to see you know more than just the Canadian teams. We've got the Vegas, the California teams, uh, expansion, Seattle. How do you think this division is going to look? If I were to ask you your top uh, three teams, one through three. Well, I mean... I'm pretty confident that Vegas will finish first. And then there's a bunch of teams I could convince myself in any given day have a chance at the playoffs. I mean, you know, I think San Jose is going to have a kind of a tough season, so they might be on the outside looking in. But, you know, if if you look at Anaheim and, and L.A., they have, you know, a bunch of really exciting young players. So I think they all could take a step forward. I mean, you know, I, I keep comparing, you know, uh, Anaheim and L.A. to what the Flames were in 2014, where, you know, Anaheim and L.A. have a bunch of young guys who, you know, who go into a locker room full of guys who have been told, you're gonna you're not going to be very good this year. And I think <laughs> Anaheim and L.A. will both be very motivated to make uh, a lot of sports writers seem very foolish. Uh, you know, Vancouver underachieved a bit last year. They, you know, they had a... a absolute murder of a time with how bad things were off the ice with you know the the Vertanen stuff and the covid stuff and they 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 i think everyone w- was very happy when the season was over and they can just reset but you know they they've made some smart moves in the off season i, I like their their team and i think they they couldn't take a step uh seattle's next factor i mean they have some good pieces but can they gel the way vegas did right away i'm not sure Edmonton has, you know, a lot better forward depth than I think they had in the last couple of years, but I'm not sure about the, the defense and the goaltending. Uh, you know, the, the Flames, I think, I think they have better depth, but I think losing Giordano makes the defensive group fairly shallow after you get past Tanev and, uh, and Noah Hannafin. So, you know, if, if you ask me to make a prediction, I'm thinking probably Vegas, Edmonton, and one of Calgary or Vancouver finish in those top three spots, but it's going to be an absolute, you know, absolute gong show all year because I think, you know, a team could be, you know, eking themselves into the playoffs with a good weekend or they could fall completely out with a bad weekend. You know what? If Edmonton and Calgary finish 2-3, that's uh, that's a, that shapes up for good things. So I would like to see that happen. I hope it all comes true. Ryan, thanks a lot for doing this today. I really appreciate it. Right, thanks for having me. Excellent stuff from Ryan Pike of Oilers Nation. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter at Ryan and Pike. Really appreciate him hopping on the show today discussing the Calgary Flames. Similar to last year, I'm not too sure what to make of this team. Well, we know that when they're playing well, they can be an efficient hockey team, but we also saw last year that they can have their struggles. So it's going to be very interesting to see, of course, the Oilers kick off their preseason against the Flames Sunday, September 26th down at the Saddle Dome. That's a 7 o'clock puck drop and... uh I am really, really looking forward to it. It's been a long off season, kind of slow right now. Can't wait for Cam to get going, and then we can have a little bit more fun here on the podcast. But that's going to do it for this episode of the show. Big thank you to Ryan Pike and Tyler Uramchuk for joining me on the show today. Big thank you to you guys for tuning in today. Another big thank you to DraftKings. If you're going to sign up, make sure to use promo code THPN, NFL season right around the corner. You can have a lot of fun there. And i got to thank the fine folks at the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Connor Halley. This has been another edition of the Other Connor Podcast. We'll talk to you next time.
Thanks for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast. New shows drop every Tuesday and Friday wherever you get your podcasts from.